This is Science Moab, a show exploring the science happening in Southeast Utah and the Colorado Plateau. I'm your host, Peggy Hodgkins, and today we are talking about the science of soil and rock mechanics, especially how they respond to gravity and man-made structures. Under the umbrella of civil engineering, there are a number of subsets of the specialty, which could be structural engineering, transportation, water resources, um, and geotech being one of those. Now, geotechnical engineering uh, generally deals with rock and soil mechanics and the physics associated with that and how those will respond to structures or how they just respond to gravity. Today, we are talking with Taylor Hall. Taylor is a geotechnical engineer who studies rock and soil mechanics in order to understand the strength and stability of foundations of man-made structures. He has recently started his own geotech business right here in Moab. Could be something like a bridge that we look at and understand the foundations, or it could just be a landslide that gets triggered from natural causes. And so we are the fortunate ones to be able to come in there and kind of tell you how things are responding and why and what to expect. Just to go into it a bit more, I mean, you're talking about soil science in terms of soil structure, strength, stability. I mean, what do you physically do out on a site to measure a soil's strength or stability? Well, it's an ever-evolving field, as technology is, but it's pretty archaic. Um, (laughs) uh, Geotechnical engineering really kind of got its feet under it back in uh, the 1940s and 1950s. And during that time, the way in which they sampled soil was they would drill a hole. And as engineers, we like to have control over everything. And so what they would do is they would drive a sampler into the ground using a fixed weight hammer that would fall 18 inches. And so using these kind of methods, we were able to, one, acquire a sample but also get some resistance associated with that. And that's still a lot of what we do today, but we do it because it's backed by now 60 to 70 years worth of empirical relationships and comfort from people. There's some other cool innovations that are that have been done, one of which is called a cone penetration test sounding. And what we do is just basically push a cone into the ground and it has sensors on it and we can measure kind of the behavior of the soil. And so you're not getting a physical soil sample, but you're getting an idea of how that soil responds. And again, comparing that to years worth of past experience. And so one of the newer age practices that are being done by um, more on the university side and more from those that are wanting to kind of pursue this is um, more of the seismic measurements and so taking small strain measurements of the soil and again kind of interpolating that to what we know before on what soils are and stuff the benefits of that is you get like a very large picture whereas the 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 drilling and doing the borings I mean you're dealing with an eight inch hole and if you're fortunate you get the opportunity to poke a couple of those on a site but generally you're only dealing with one, maybe two, and then you're having to interpret everything in between those two points and use two eight-inch holes to kind of characterize a whole site. And so it's it's tough, but that's why I chose geotechnical engineering is because no one, two sites are the same, and it provides you the opportunity to kind of really think on your feet. Yeah. This this object that you hammer into the ground that was the original 
device to test the soils. What, does it have a name? So there's a, a number of them. Um, the standard split spoon is the one that we try to kind of normalize everything to. There's a, some other ones that basically just scale up with size. Okay. And so really, depending on the soil type, you'll change those devices to kind of capture that soil the best you can. Because like with sands and gravels and stuff, they don't like to hold their structures. Like if you go to the beach and you grab a handful of sand, it's just going to kind of fall out of your hand. And so you can imagine as you grab it from below the surface, it's going to kind of just fall out as you take it. And so if things are more like fine grained and stuff, we can use these things. We call them Shelby tubes. And they're just like a thin walled sampler that we can, those we push into the ground or we project with a uh, pressure from water or air into the ground and so kind of just depends on what the soil type is and what you want to do but really kind of all goes back to the standard split spoon right so the split spoon you use that in modern day and so you have all this data from all the split spoon experiments done in the past to kind of get an idea of your strength and stability of your of your site say then, then what would you do? I mean, so you know, you get an idea of how stable the soil is. So how do you then sort of adjust your plans and or materials to, to the soil? I mean, it really depends on what you're building and kind of what you hope that building to be able to accommodate. Or if it's a dam, for instance, you might have different interpretations of how much movement can exist. And so it takes a lot of communication and most engineers aren't really great at communicating. (laughs) And so there's often a breakdown, but if everyone's kind of working together and involved, yeah, you can take those results and you do get a physical soil specimen back or you get these correlations. And with those, we, but the interpretations and correlations know no bounds. I mean, you can take that forever and get every single parameter you want. It's just experience drives a lot of what's acceptable or maybe what's okay to do from that for instance let's think of an example where you have like a big factory and um, it's got some machinery that can undergo a lot of differential settlement because it it might get it out of whack or the things don't work the way they should for that if you have soft soils below the ground you know that maybe a conventional shallow foundation system isn't the best but also maybe not a deep foundation either because deep foundations are expensive. And by deep foundations, I mean something on the order of, let's just say, 20, 30 feet, hopefully just getting below those soils that might be causing you issues. And so deep foundations can consist of a number of really cool things like uh, driven piles or things that we call drilled shafts, which are we just kind of hollow out the ground and fill it with concrete and rebar. There's a lot of really cool advancements being made in um, soil stabilization and so we can dynamically compact the soil literally just take like as big of a weight as they can pick up and they just drop it on the ground repeatedly and that can densify soils Um, they can just basically dynamically compact with these like vibrators and hoppers that put gravel in the ground and they can densify it there's yeah there's a lot of really cool ground improvement methods out there and so day-to-day, what are some typical projects you work on? Recently, as a uh, new business owner, I'm, I'm working with a lot of just development. And so um, I've been involved on a few projects where it's just uh, a residential development here in town locally. There's a couple developments that are being considered or um, looked at. And so just kind of looking at what potential hazards might be out there and 
providing reports that would help kind of detail how to address those or how to look for those hazards, knowing what structures are being planned. Before this, so just a couple months ago, I was working for a larger national firm that does a lot of public infrastructure type projects. The benefit in working for an outfit like that is you get the opportunity to see like everything and really cool stuff. Landslides and dams and just new reservoirs, uh, big water tanks, things that will require a little bit more thought process and uh, manpower to take on. And so, you know, eventually I would like to try to evolve my myself and my company back to that point. I, the landslides are in like the earth related components of like hills and yeah. mountains and stuff are what captivates me within my geotechnical heart. Cool. It is more of the work done uh, as a response to some event, or are you called in as well, like, uh, say, before a building or a bridge or a, even a sidewalk or something goes in? Yeah, uh, it's a bit of both. Right now, I'm trying to position myself to kind of do a bit of both, but it's more of the early pre-construction type projects that I've been involved with. You know, just locally, there was the bridge on the way to Powell that had the foundation washed out from under it. And that could be something that I'm sure there were UDOT uh, geotechnical engineers that came down to look at, as well as other consulting engineers. So, yeah, it's a bit of both. And who's who's usually calling you? Are they the contractors? Who, who calls you up and says, we'd like your advice? A lot of developers, because they're the ones that kind of like need something. They're working with the city, county, and they're informed that they need more than maybe what they came to the table with the first time. And so they understand they need to come to me and get a geological hazard study mm-hmm. or a geotechnical report. A lot of times for like public type projects, there's like an RFP, a request for proposal that's solicited. And you can get your hands on that and propose on that. And they look for a lot of experience-based qualifiers that kind of allow you to bid on that. And then in those emergency settings, just being a local resource that people are aware of and kind of know what they're um, capable of doing can allow you some opportunities as well. Nice. Yeah. But right now it's a lot of just word of mouth. So you just touched on this a bit, but what did, what did bring you to Moab and inspire you to open your own company? We've been up in Salt Lake the last five years and my wife has established a relationship with um, a physical therapy outfit here and uh, an opportunity came up that gave her the chance to start working there. And so we just kind of we kind of leaned into it. And after experiencing last year uh, and all things COVID and being locked in, I think it was one of those things where it's just it would take a big leap of fate and see where life puts you. And again, that vortex of, of good things yeah. has just sucked us in. And so the decision to start my own company, I think I'm still trying to piece that together. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, I had the opportunities to kind of work remote because I think a benefit that came out of last year is companies got uh, kind of a little bit of a paradigm shift right. internally to kind of allow for that. But I've always kind of liked the idea of starting my own business. And there aren't any geotechs in the immediate area. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I grew up in a small town. And uh, since that time, I've, I've lived in a lot of big towns and I, I, I miss that opportunity to really be involved in a community. You know, you can be in big cities and be involved, but it's hard to feel that direct impact. And so being back here just kind of resonated those feelings and uh, kind of just sparked a thing that I think was kind of just the 
little bit of a pilot light inside <laughs> me. And now, yeah, it's it's going good. That's good. Yeah. I mean, so you're so far you're you're getting consistent work. Is I am. Good. Yeah, thanks to a lot of uh, wonderful people here oh, in town good. and the good news travels fast and yeah. so i've had a few opportunities outside of the state and uh back up in salt lake where i've yeah uh, where i was working the last five years so i'm so i'm just curious you know you've you've worked in utah up in salt lake area but geologically and it's very different i would think moab would have in the moab area would have some unique geotechnical problems just given the amount of rock structures and as well as you know very unsettled sands and whatnot and uh, very few actual soils no there are i mean this valley is uh, geologically speaking unique and beautiful being founded on a, a collapsed salt dome and having hazards associated with that drive a very curious and very fun environment to do what i do the utah geological survey a couple years ago now they put out a hazard guidance kind of manual associated with the area and it came with 13 geological hazards that uh, all stem from this environment that uh, Moab exists in. And um, some of those things are the Manco Shale that we alluded to. We have things called like expansive soils. So you introduce a little bit of water, things can get way out of hand. I mean, I've seen what we call swell pressures or a load that you would need to put on the soil to prevent it from swelling. That's on the order of like 30 feet, tens of feet of soil that you would need to put on it to even overcome it. And then it's like, for instance, we're trying, we got an airport out here and it's like, we're not going to put 30 feet of soil out there just so we can put a runway. And so yeah. it, it sparks these uh, unique opportunities to engineer a system. Um, everyone here has probably heard of the gypsiferous soils. I think the second um, our, our feet hit the ground here locally, we heard about the, the house that had the sinkhole on it. And so there's a byproduct of this collapsed salt dome that bring forth evaporites and gypsum and then hydrite and things that are just not very suitable with water. And again, all these hazards kind of go back to whenever water introduces itself into a system, it can be problematic. And so uh, collapsible soils are kind of part of that, too. Um, those stem from more or less like debris flow systems. So mm -hmm. we had the Pat Creek fire here locally, had a few debris flows. And as that comes down and settles out, it generally does so in a way that's not very self-compacting or it doesn't put itself in a dense state. And so a few thousand years later, we come by, we're interested in putting a, a structure there, and that can lead to potential issues there as well. Being in an environment where water is, is not routine, I would imagine there are a lot of dramatic either landslides or types of catastrophic failure when there is a big rain. I mean, is there anything you do in your work to combat the effects of that? There's lots of things we would like to do. There's not a lot of things that end up being done due to like cost associated with it, as are most things. Yeah, we have ways in which we can install equipment in the subsurface if we have the fortunate opportunity to collect a lot of uh, soil samples and do some pretty uh, high-end testing we can get a better understanding of how those soils do react so uh, i think a good example of to that question would be like here in utah there's a lot of reservoirs and dams that kind of help manage the water so that we're not letting it all go down down river before we have the opportunity to use it and so we build these reservoirs and 
as things change and as we uh, alluded to earlier codes do too and so we learn more things about hazards and how to address those and so for these dam structures we'll do things like install what we call pisometers which are just like a, they can be an open standpipe just a piece of pvc in the ground but allows us the opportunity to come in and measure the height of the water within the embankment and you can get effects associated with raising and lowering of that that can ultimately lead to conditions that might be less than safe mm-hmm. um, may not be unsafe but they just might be less than what we feel comfortable with or what um, we want to uh, I guess cr- how we want to create that environment for the people around it is anyone working with you right now or just you uh, yes, I've caught the attention of a, a few locally that um, have practiced maybe in the geology field. I mean, the ultimate goal is, you know, for a company in an area like this, uh, I've seen like on the order of like three to 10 people be feasible. I would like to just grow my business and uh, see where it goes. Um, I, I don't want to just be limited to geotech. I'd like to just be a all-encompassed a service center that can serve however far we're willing to yeah. go sort of thing. In addition to getting his new company up and running, Taylor is volunteering his time with the Science Moab School to Science program. The School to Science program is just just a program that kind of helps students in high school that might have an idea for what they want to do in life. And so specifically, uh, I've worked with you guys to find anyone that might be interested in uh, civil engineering or geological engineering or just the, uh, the sort of engineering that would allow you to kind of be involved in the earth. And so teamed up with uh, the high school and the Science to Moab program, and we have one student who's nice. interested. That's good. Um, and yeah, we're going to try to, within Moab Geotechnical Group, uh, my business will try to just give her an experience in all these things. So having kind of met a lot of people locally, uh, give her the opportunity to see the surveying side and see how things kind of go from the ground being broken and how that goes through the process of even getting a structure on the ground. And so working with a surveyor, uh, working with civil engineers, working with a structural engineer, fortunately, um, I. I understand the student has a environmental engineering uh, parent, and so hopefully I don't have to dabble on that because that's a little bit beyond me. That's a little too much chemistry. Um, but yeah, uh, just kind of give her an opportunity or um, whatever student might be interested in just experiencing kind of what civil engineering is and kind of how that fits within the world that we live in and what opportunities might be out there. Well, thanks, Taylor. Thanks for talking with Science Moab, and uh, wish you luck with the with your new company. Yeah, thank you so much. Happy to work with you guys. To learn more or listen to other Science Moab episodes, visit sciencemoab.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Science Moab is done in partnership with Utah State University Extension. Science Moab Media is by Sophia Fisher, newsletter by Rhonda Cook, our theme music is by Jeremy Spaulding, and the show is produced by Peggy Hodgkins, Christina Young, and KZMU. If you love Science Moab, let us know. Leave a rating on Spotify or a review on iTunes. And consider supporting Science Moab by donating to the podcast at sciencemoab.org. This programming is unique to Moab, Utah, and your support makes it possible.